This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Brayden and Sydney Evans have been married for 12 years. They have three beautiful children, and I can attest to this, <laughs> through the miracle of adoption. Brayden works in marketing, and Sydney is a physician's assistant. They love the Lord. Welcome to the Still Rowing Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Stratford Gale. I am so thrilled to have Brayden and Sydney with us today. I've had the chance to be in Sydney and Brayden's ward. And I've been able to rub shoulders with them and hear their story and the miracle of adoption that they have experienced. And I'm so thankful and appreciative that you guys would be on the podcast with me today. So thanks for your willingness to share your testimonies and your time with me today. We're excited to be here. Excited to share our story. Yeah, love it. Now, before we get started, I wanted to thank our listeners that have expressed and shared feedback um, about the Still Roaring podcast. We really appreciate it and we love learning and receiving that feedback to know how we can better improve our processes. So thank you for that. And if you haven't left a review, we would love to hear from you and your thoughts about the podcast. So to get things started, Brayden and Sydney, I am wondering how you came to the decision to adopt. Can we start there and you share a little bit about that very beginning of your journey? Yeah, of course. So when Brayden and I got married a few years, I guess, after that, we started to try to have kids and really struggled with infertility. And for me, I I had grown up with a stay-at-home mom, and that was something that I just had planned to do and to be. Mm -hmm. And so I just felt like I was waiting around for a baby, you know, waiting -hmm. waiting to get pregnant, and that just didn't happen. So eventually, Brayden and I decided to... Uh, move across the country and I went to school in Georgia yeah we decided to move on with life and the Lord would take care of us and we just felt like if kids weren't in our plan right then then we'd do what felt right and so that was Sydney going to PA school in Georgia yeah and we loved it about halfway through PA school um, through my master's about a year and a half in maybe we got a call my parents were living in Japan serving a mission at the time Mm -hmm. and they had this cute little 16 year old girl who's pregnant said, would you be interested in potentially adopting, you know? And I said, yes, of course. And my dad said, maybe you should talk to Brayden first. (laughs) But that's kind of how we got into the process. It didn't actually end up working that year, but we were connected with um, that cute girl. And it worked out a year later with another baby too. So that's how we got Ryan and Hazel. Yeah, we got a, she ended up saying, "Never mind. I think I want a parent, which is great. Mm-hmm. And then a year later, she reached back out and said, you know, or would you be willing to adopt now? And also, I'm pregnant. Would you adopt this second baby? Wow. And so then we said, yeah, wow. move forward. It's kind of an interesting thing that you talked about that you mentioned, Brayden, that you are excited about the prospect of adopting, right? You're excited about growing your family. But then when the parent does decide, no, I want, I want to keep this child there's kind of that torn feeling I could imagine of we're excited for you and we're excited for this, for that you want to keep this child and do your best to raise, um, to raise her, but also the expectation for you and your, your thinking that that child is coming home with you. That, I mean, that's just, I'm, I think I'm just describing kind of the woes and the difficulties of adoption. That's what it can be like. So that's how it started, and your parents kind of kick-started that for you. And I love, well, just, Brayden, I mean, he'll be okay with it. <laughs> yes, yes, of course we do. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So can you share with me more about that, that first time maybe bringing your, your girls home or about that process? Because there's a lot more than just saying, yep, I'm ready to adopt and I found a baby and let's do this, right? There's more to that. So can you explain more about just in depth about that process? Yes. So I call it the year of tears. <laughs> yeah. So when from the time we decided with the birth mom that this was going to be the path we took, it took a year. Mm-hmm. So at that point, Ryan, our oldest daughter, she was one when um, her birth mom initially reached out mm-hmm. that second time. Okay. So I guess not initially, but that second time she reached out, Ryan was one and Hazel was almost born. Okay. So, from that point, it took us a year to get them, and we thought several times that the process was going to fall through. 
So I just remember going to church and feeling like, you know, we would sing a song and I would cry every time and people would ask, bless their hearts, they were praying for us. And sometimes I was so, I was sad if they didn't ask, I was sad if they asked. (laughs) Just like a hard year to navigate. We just didn't know what was going to happen. Mm. And actually during that year, I felt probably the least seen by God. I felt like I was just waving Mm. my arms trying to get his attention. Like I'm praying for something good. I'm praying for something right. I feel like this is what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. And you're just not responsive. I, honestly, that that's how I felt that year. However, interestingly, looking back, I see the total opposite. I, I can recognize how involved in the process he was yeah. and how many miracles were, were waiting that he was planning, you mm-hmm. know, everything to work out. Yeah. yeah. And I think from my perspective, Um, I was, I felt like adoption was right and I was on board with the process, but at the same time I was a little bit still hesitant in my heart all the way up until after Cal, I still, every time we attempted to adopt, Mm -hmm. I've been hesitant and I felt like, I feel like this is right to add to our family and this is what we should do. And at the same time, I'm not sure that I want to do it or have the strength or, or whatever it might be mm-hmm. um, especially, especially after the first one we had like post-traumatic syndrome from mm-hmm. from adoption it was hard it was a struggle on our marriage it was um it was it was a hard year and then after we got ryan and hazel they were one and two yeah. when we adopted them and it was still really hard mm-hmm. i mean hazel was one ryan was two and now they're put in our, our house, which is a stranger, they don't know who we are. They don't recognize us as family or as parents. And it took some time for us to bond with them and for them to bond with us and to have that connection for us to feel like family. And, and that was hard too. Wow. Um, and so after that, I was, I was done um, with kids. I was like, no, I think two is good. (laughs) Originally when we first talked, we were like, oh, three, four, five, six, you know, we'll just go until we feel like we're done. But then after that, I was like, no, two is good. That was really hard. I don't ever want to do that again. And so, um, yeah, two is good. Yeah. I appreciate how candid you are about the process because I think when I think about adoption, I just think about okay, it's difficult until you get the child, but what you just expressed was no, no. Like there's there's still work to be done even after you have the miracle of, of getting the, the child into your home and making them feel comfortable. And like you said, making it feel like a family. It was harder, a lot harder for Ryan and Hazel being one and two than it was for Cal. Because Cal was a newborn, he was instantly like, so, every, everyone that took him was like... He, he didn't know any better, right? And so for our listeners, so Cal is your the third child that you've adopted yes. later on. So you did end up adopting yes. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Spoiler there's, alert. There's, yeah. Spoiler alert. So there's there's a lot more to the story. And we talked about how when um, this birth mom originally backed out or decided to parent with Ryan and how that was kind of devastating to us. Well, every time that we've decided to adopt, that's happened. Mm-hmm. Every single time. Mm-hmm. And... Um, with Ryan and, and Hazel, it ended up being resolved that it ended up working out. And when we were to adopt a, a different child, um, the birth mom backed out, but it ended up leading us to Cal and it worked out mm-hmm. perfectly the way that it was supposed to. And we recently just went through another failed adoption that I kind of, maybe we feel like is a little bit unresolved, but we still feel like we, we have faith that it's going to work out from our experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think when we say unresolved, that's maybe... I guess to better clarify what we thought was what what we mean by unresolved is what we thought was going to happen mm-hmm. didn't happen. Yeah. And and so not necessarily that we anticipate this child will come back to our family or anything like that. It just kind of felt like we got left hanging on this one. You know, mm-hmm. with Ryan and Hazel, it came things ended up working out. So we have felt so mm-hmm. prompted and felt clarity multiple times about moving forward. And I felt like a mama bear before they were mine, Mm. you know, just fighting, fighting for this to work out with Cal. Um, yeah, we we were supposed to, so Cal's our third child who's two and a half. When we got into that, my cousin, who's also an adoptive mom, her, her, um, children's birth mom was having another baby and thinking to place, but 
It wasn't going to be something that was going to work out for my cousin to take that baby. Mm. So we thought, she asked, would you be interested? And we said, yes. In fact, a few months previously, I had come from, from church. <laughs> and I said to Brayden, I think we're supposed to adopt again. And he laughed. Uh, <laughs> I cried. I thought he laughed. it was a joke. I really thought she was joking. And, and, and I made her cry because I laughed so hard and thought she was joking. And she started I was like, crying, no, I'm you know? serious. And then I was like, oh my gosh, you're serious? No, you can't be serious. Oh. <laughs> so when my cousin had approached us a few months later, I felt like this is... This is something I've God has put in my heart already. Yeah. And so when when that happened, we knew that the kind of what happened is the birth mother ended up this she was kind of in limbo. So initially mm-hmm. she wanted to place and then it was kind of like, well maybe I want a parent. Mm-hmm. And that kind of limbo happened all the way until baby's born. Mm-hmm. And I remember being at work and getting a picture of that baby. I just kept thinking, I'm going to get a call. I know I'm going to get a call because this is meant to be. Yeah. I, you know, I knew this was going to happen before it, it, it was. Yeah. And I just kept not getting a call. And I got a picture of the baby on Valentine's Day. And yeah. I just remember being at my desk crying, you know, just feeling like, holy cow, this was supposed to work out. And yeah. it hasn't. Mm. But... Um, the lawyer ended up calling us that we were working with and said, Hey, you know, we know that didn't work out, but we have this other, we have this other couple we think would be a good fit for you. What do you think? And we said, I don't know. Well, they said, but I know that you've, you're interested and you've marked, you know, a you, girl, you thought you were getting a girl. Would you be interested in a boy? And she was on the phone and she's like, I don't know, Braid, would you be interested in a boy? And she looked at me and I was like shaking my head. I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it wasn't that I wasn't interested. I was just like, Oh, what? This is different. Yeah. Yeah. We thought we were getting a girl. This isn't something you thought you would be able to choose, right? Right. Just kind of when you have children, you just think whatever we get, we get. So it's a, it's not, I understand that. It wasn't that you weren't interested. It was like, oh, I get to choose. Yeah. Like, (laughs) oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and something else you said has really stayed with me, Sydney. And that was when you were talking at the beginning, you said the year of tears, which just makes my heart just sink. You talked about, you know, growing a family and raising a family is a good thing, mm-hmm. especially growing up in a, as, as members of the church. You grow up being surrounded by the family is important, you know, the proclamation to the world. It, it's, it's something that we come here and it's taught every Sunday and we hear about it. And so you're thinking, Lord, this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I have righteous desires. Why isn't... Why isn't this being met? And so I'm curious, going back to that year of tears, I'm sorry to, to ask you to, to open up about that, but I am more curious about, so then what strengthened you during that year? What was it that kind of got you through that really difficult time? Yeah, that's a really good question. For me, I think I did feel, that was the first time I feel that I had really been shaken. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a year that I really had to kind of dig deep and think about things. But as I reviewed experiences that I had had previously, you know, I remember being, Mm -hmm. Brayden and I were talking about this last night, but I remember being in probably fifth grade and I, we did the fun run every year. (laughs) I don't know if every elementary school does that, but I was like praying so hard. I had like meddled a couple years previously, but I hadn't really been practicing. And I remember being like the night before being like, Heavenly Father, like if you will let me meddle, I will read my scriptures every day. Like I'm trying to bargain with the Lord yeah, to get yeah. this medal. You this know, fifth is so grade. relatable. I hope you know. I I was that child, for right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I and I didn't I didn't medal, and I just remember being like, oh, I don't think he really heard me, you know. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward a few months, Father's blessing for the next year of school. Oh yeah. And my father said in that blessing, you know, the Lord loves you and he wants you to accomplish great things and when you'll work together with him anyways he i can't remember all the specific wording but it was, i knew exactly that that god was referring to that prayer and i hadn't told a soul yeah, yeah. you know so during this year of tears reflecting back on experience as i had had like that yeah. i had to remember hey i know that he's there mm-hmm. and i get to choose here I get to choose to be somebody who's going to collapse in the face of a storm or I can stand strong and steadfast and, mm. and look for him. Yeah. I, there's a saying that I've developed as like kind of like my mantra. And it was like, I used to ask like, 
can I see God in my life? Like, is he even there? And I realized I needed to stop asking that. And it was instead, look, and you will see him. Yes. He is there. Yes. 100%. It's, it's having eyes to see, but I think something that is important, especially for persons who have been through something similar to this, is that it's okay to take time to mourn. Yes. Christ wept, right? Yes. He could heal. He was about to perform a miraculous thing, and he, he first took time to weep. Yes. And so I think it is okay. Take that time to mourn and then, and then look for God and you'll see him yeah. in your life. I just read this quote this morning too by President or Elder Holland. Yeah. And he said, if the bitter cup does not pass, drink it and be strong, trusting in happier days ahead. <laughs> I feel like that's what it was. It was just I like a it. painful dose of reality. <laughs> it's like sometimes it doesn't work out and you mourn and you can cry and that's okay. And then shake it off yeah. and keep moving. Drink it. I love it. Yeah, just drink it. <laughs> yeah. That's really great. Oh, and I, I, something else I love too, and I love your thoughts on this because there's kind of something I've been thinking about, which is like the progression of prayer. Mm. So when you're a child, you teach your children, you lost your teddy bear? Well, let's say a prayer and let's find your teddy bear. And I think God is so good and he understands that at that moment, we need a moment where a prayer is answered. To teach, to teach our child that God is listening. Mm-hmm. And then as you get older and you're praying for that medal, I've been yeah. there. Yeah. Please, God, let me make this soccer team or win this game, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. And you're like, wait a second. This isn't the God that I know. And then as you get older again, so prayer, your prayers progress as you get older and your relationship with God progresses. So... How, I mean, I'm wondering your thoughts about that. How have your prayers progressed as you've gone through this experience? Um, again, wanting something so righteous and so good. Because I think we're taught in the scriptures, like if, um, if you're praying for my will to be done, then the sky is the limit, right? Right. Um, and sometimes that works and sometimes God has something else in store that is righteous and you, you, what you want is really good, but it's just different. So I'm just wondering about... Maybe this is a personal question, but I'm wondering about your prayers and how they have progressed and changed through this. Okay, so I remember being in Japan. So when Ryan and Hazel were young and we had decided this was the path we were going to take, something kind of came up and my dad, who knew this family, they were home at the time, so they had come home from their mission. My dad knew the family and he and my mom and I all went during one of my breaks in, in my master's program. Braden stayed home because he was working. And I got to meet Ryan and Hazel. Oh, wow. So Ryan, Hazel was just brand new. Um, they were the birth family was trying to navigate some hard things. Mm-hmm. And so we got to go visit. And I remember, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. Like, I don't think I thought I was bringing them home. Yeah. But I when I had to leave and we were driving to the airport, I was a mess. Mm -hmm. Just like I'm leaving my babies in a different country Mm -hmm. and I don't know how this is supposed to work out, right? Like, no, you're supposed to give me the teddy bear. You know, I prayed really hard. I've acted, I've moved my feet. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not how it's supposed to work. Lord, did you know? Did you know that? (laughs) And I remember driving home or to the airport with my dad and just being in tears and bless his heart. He didn't say anything. I think he knew I was just like having a moment and it was a really poignant time for me as I thought through what does faith look like and what does that mean? Mm. And how did Esther's faith differ from the faith of the anti-Nephilites? Because the results are completely different, Mm. you know? And so that was, I think the first time I realized what is faith? Faith doesn't mean that I do all the right things and I get what I want. That's not faith. Faith may mean, you know, that I do everything I can and that he wants me to pursue this path. And I might die. I might (laughs) die on the battlefield. So, okay, what does that look like? And so in that moment, my prayers, it was a hard realization Mm -hmm. and it made me really emotional, but it wasn't, my prayers started to change after that moment. Let me prepare me, help me to accept Thy will. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I think for me, my prayers changed over the years as well. Um, I think I'd, 
I'd had some minor experiences when I was younger, but I think my prayers went from saying I'm grateful for things and asking for things. And that was the pattern of my prayer. Hmm. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for this. Please give me this. I was taught that pattern. Yeah. 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 And that's the pattern of my prayers. And sometimes, you know, that's still a pattern I've used. Um, But I think it, when I say my personal prayers now, I think my conversation, it's turned into a conversation and it feels, it really is a one-way conversation when I, when I, go it's one way and it's grateful for these things um here are some thoughts that have been on my mind um and and i felt like i should do this type of a thing i'm going to go down this direction in this path i i hope this is the right way please help me know if if this isn't the right way Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. my pattern of prayer has gone from asking and hoping i get something to trying to express my feelings and my thoughts and what I interpret as the spirit and asking and letting Heavenly Father know, this is what I felt. This is, this is the direction I'm going. Will you let me know if this isn't the right way? Mm-hmm. And if, if, mm-hmm. if it isn't, then let me know, you know, as soon as you can. Yeah. And if it, if it <laughs> is, whatever's convenient. Whatever's convenient. If, if, if it is, if it is the right way though, and this is the way I'm supposed to go, then great. I'm just going to have faith and continue going this direction, not knowing exactly why or what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and so just even some small things that, you know, I pray for the spirit all the time. And so there are little moments throughout the day, like Saturday, Cal, uh, two and a half year old, was outside in the backyard with the girls. And I was just sat down on the bed after I had done a few things. Um, Sydney was studying for her, her class. Her, she's in a doctorate's program right now. And I laid down on the bed next to her just to like relax. I've had the kids all day. <laughs> and right when I laid down, maybe 30 seconds later, I, I got this feeling, go like, what are the kids doing? And I was like, oh, I just sent them outside in the backyard. They're fine. But then I got the feeling again, go and I... So I thought to myself, before I did it, I thought, was that the spirit? Doesn't hurt to go check. So I open up the, the blinds to look in the back mm. and Cal's wandering to the far corner by himself mm. where there's a hole in the fence from the deer. Oh, and I'm like, okay. So I'm like, oh, good thing I checked. And I even told Sydney, <laughs> I was like, good thing I checked. Um, and so I think that's kind of like, I, I think my prayers have changed from just asking and hoping I get things to, it's a continual process every single day that you know, I, I ex- try and express my feelings and, and my gratitudes throughout the day. And then at night, I kind of just, ex- you know, yeah. a therapy session yeah. one, one way. Yeah. <laughs> I think too, to add to that, Elder Quintanel Cook gave a talk one time called Hope You Know We Had a Hard Time. Mm. And he talks about him and his son getting stuck in a snowstorm in the canyon. Mm. And that's what the son said when he called his mom. Hope you know we've had a really hard time. <laughs> and and how that relates to prayer. And so sometimes oh. that's what my prayer has been. I just am really having a hard time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just get, help help me. Take some of this burden maybe. Yeah. And I think God, he wants to hear that. He wants to feel that you trust him enough to take your burdens to him and the difficulties to him. And and also what you shared, I, I love Braden too. It's like, it's a continual process. It's, it's just every day you're just taking it to the Lord and having a conversation. And, and I love that. And I love what you shared. Thank you. And I, and I was thinking too about Elder Holland's The Two Roads. Mm-hmm. And it's, that has been like huge for me in my life. Like, I'm going to go down this road if you could let me know if this is not the right road before I get too far down. But I thought about it and I was like, it's kind of amazing because God is giving us the opportunity to know, not Mm -hmm. just to trust in God that we're going down the right path, but he's giving us the opportunity to actually know that this is the right path. When we go down and it is not right and we feel that it's not right, we go down the other one and we think, well, now I know, Mm -hmm. right? And I think Mm -hmm. that's a beautiful thing too. So I'm curious to hear more about Cal's story. Can you share a little bit about, about that with us? Yeah, so Cal, like we mentioned, there was a um, birth mom reached out with their cousin that we were supposed to adopt through. And being through this process before, um, I was very, very hesitant and reserved throughout the whole process. Adoption is incredibly expensive, and Mm -hmm. we have had to postpone moving forward in our life trying to just get a family. Like, Like moving forward buying cars, houses, all of our friends are doing all of these cool things and 
we don't because we don't have any money because it's all going towards adoption process. And so that was a big fear of mine is that we've put in, you know, thousands of dollars and the adoption process fails. And then that did happen. Um, And fortunately it worked out. Um, So Cal's, Cal's adoption, um, the lawyer, like we said, approached us and said, okay, we can, I'm going to, what if we just roll all of those fees in that we've already done to this, towards this other adoption. So it won't cost you anything else. And I said, that would be amazing. (laughs) And and so we did that. And the whole time we're going through the adoption process and it's probably very similar to Ryan and Hazel, but my attitude since then has changed. But the whole time I was, this feels right, but I didn't want it to be right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, we, we had made a plan in October of 2018 and we said that, all right, we're going to get out of school debt. We're going to pay <laughs> off all of these things. I don't mean to laugh. I'm just no. like, I can't <laughs> we had this perfect plan. So perfect. Yeah. Yes. This perfect plan of that. We were going to do all these things and this was all going to be done by like March or May. And you know, we were being blessed and financially we were being blessed and I was really excited and we had, we're like, okay, in March or April, we're going to buy a new car because mm-hmm. our cars were very bad. And mm-hmm. we didn't, end, we didn't end up getting a new car until this year, actually. This is the first, right. so it's been mm-hmm. since 2018. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyways, the point is that we had made plans for our life and literally like a week or two after that is when her cousin reached out and said, would you like to do this? And I said, I told Sydney like, no. And she's like, well, have you even prayed about it? I was like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> and I kept telling her no. And I put it off and I put it off for like yeah. three weeks. I didn't pray about it. Mm. Then I finally prayed and I felt like it was right. And I was, so we went down that road, but the whole time I was hoping it wouldn't work. And even when Cal was born and I held him at the hospital, I still didn't think it was going to work until the parents like signed the, the birth parents signed the forms. Mm -hmm. So that whole time I just had these reservations. I feel like this is right. And, and perhaps I wasn't acting in faith, but I just felt like I didn't want mostly Sydney's heart to be broken again. Right. It, it, when this first lovely was born in February, that was the, the first um, girl that we were going to adopt. When that fell through, she was heartbroken. And I didn't want to go back to that. And mm-hmm. so up until then, I was just trying to stay strong for Sydney. And then when they signed the, the papers and they signed away their parental rights, I just felt like he was instantly my son. And, and kind of a sidestep... Um, this is probably worth noting, but one of my big fears and reservations with adoption is that I wouldn't feel like these kids would be mine, yeah. that they're not biological children. And I was worried that I would have that feeling that I would, because like I said, the first four to six months, I felt, honestly, I felt like I was babysitting someone's kids 24 mm-hmm. seven and, and probably first three to four months I felt like that. And so I had this fear, but I acted in faith. And then Ryan and Hazel, they, they were my girls. Um, and then when we added Cal, it changed my mentality and my process completely. And I don't know what it is and how it worked out, but when we had Cal, I like he and I were like buddies in the pre-earth life. Mm-hmm. We were like best friends or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, because he and I, we just have this soul connection. And adding him to our family really increased my ability to share my emotions and love my other children as well. Mm. And so I don't know what the process is. I think to me, that was one of my, like the huge blessings for me of that process was feeling like even before, that was one of the, okay, I'm going all over. So you're going to have to- I love it. Keep going. But- Before we adopted Cal, I actually made a deal with Sydney and I said, I'll go down this path. One condition is that after this, we go do fertility treatments and we see if it's possible to have a biological child. Mm-hmm. I would like to still try that. Yeah. And she said, deal. And, and all the way up, like we agreed. And then after Cal was born, I was like, never mind, let's not. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to, like, I just didn't feel any desire. Wow. These, at that point, I just, I had this connection with my children and I think it took until Cal for it to fully solidify. And I think that was my own personal blessing that now I could feel and learn how to express love to Ryan and Hazel more fully after I got Cal. And, I, and it's weird. I don't know how to explain that. 
other than what do you have to say? That's beautiful. I mean, I think one interesting thing probably about our process is that makes it maybe a little unique is we never did try fertility treatments. Like we struggle with infertility, but it just, and people will ask me about that all the time. And it's a normal question. I understand it. And I don't know how to respond because it, the only thing I can say, it's just not my path. And, and Brayden felt strongly about it. He initially, he wanted to do that. And I was willing to do that because he felt strongly about it. Um, but it just wasn't yeah. my path. Yeah. Yeah. These are just totally my kids. Yeah. And we still, we still haven't done any fertility treatments. I've, we've never taken any tests, either of us to determine, you know, if, if eggs or sperm don't work or how that mm. works. We've never done any testing. And that's and, not everybody's path. And but that's not everyone's it path. Was ours. I think people think we're weirdos when we say that <laughs> because they have children. But to us, like, these are our children. Mm. Like, these, this is the way that we build families. And I've, Sydney's always said that ever since we got, like, before Ryan Hazel, I just don't think we're ever going to have kids. I feel like this is the way that we're going to build our family. Mm. And I was like, you're crazy. You can't say that without doing any of these tests. And so I think maybe that's even part of the faith or that's part of, like, we... I think it took me longer to realize that that is the case, um, that that's just not how we build our family. And I'm okay with it now, and I think I wasn't okay with it until Cal's birth. Yeah. I think it's so beautiful that the Lord knew what you needed to become, as you put it, more fully like a parent, right? You were already a great parent, but this was what you needed to be more fully in it. and. I love that story about, I didn't want to pray. I wasn't going to pray three weeks. I think my stepdad did that with a dog. He's like, I didn't want to pray to ask if I needed to get you a dog because I didn't want a dog in the house, right? (laughs) But it's just, it's kind of, I just appreciate your transparency with that. And I think that's really beautiful. So you mentioned this most recent process for adoption. It's, as you put it, unresolved. Mm -hmm. So you're in the middle of that. You're still going through that. You're waiting for it to resolve in some way or another. Maybe do I mean we don't know what that resolve will look like, but I'm wondering what's carrying you right now as you're as you're waiting for that to feel more resolved. Yeah, it's a good question. There's so many thoughts with this one. So we started talking to a prospective birth mom last year. She was due in, at the end of August. We decided after Cal, you felt like it was time for another one. In Dece- and I said, let's wait till the new year. And like, we were going to, we wanted to try and adopt, but we wanted to try and do it without the Agencies. agency fees. And so we wanted to do it and we wanted to just put ourselves out there, which was really hard for us to yeah, do. Yeah. Is, is we had to market ourselves. We had to go out and we had to tell them everything about us. Here's Braden. Here's what he does. Here's how he sleeps. Here's how, you know, like (laughs) this is a funny story about him and it's also really embarrassing for him and he doesn't want me to share it, but I'm going to share it anyways. (laughs) Like, you know, and so we had to do that and we had to show pictures of ourselves and we had to ask people to share our stories. We had to ask them to like, we're not asking them, we're not going to ask you for money, but we, if you would like to help us, we would really appreciate it. Would you please share this story on your Instagram post? Yep, yep. And hey, will you do it again? And it's been a month later. Will you do it one yeah. more time? As you if know? like adoption is not vulnerable enough. And it's right. like, let's just amp it up and yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we had decided to do that and we felt good about it. And again, I didn't want to do it even after Cal and I, but I felt right. So I was less begrudging and I was like, okay, let's do this. And we did it and we marketed mm-hmm. and we've, we, we printed off um, business cards with our pictures on it. We oh, have them over here and, yeah. and we left them everywhere. Well, I left them everywhere. I, don't know <laughs> I, I went to work and I gave everyone five and I said, hand these out by the end of the week. And I left yeah. them at gas stations and it, and we ended up getting a new car. So I left them at all the charging stations and like I was leaving them everywhere. And in the meantime, Sydney was posting on Instagram. And that's how we ended up connecting with this birth mom is her sister's friend. I'm not entirely sure how, but mm-hmm. she messaged Sydney and was like, hey, I'm due in August. Wow. Would you be interested? And Sydney's like, well, yes, that's a long time away. And... <laughs> Yeah, so it was early on in the pregnancy when we started to connect, and we talked really regularly. 
mm-hmm. through her whole pregnancy. So she tells us it's time, baby's on the way. Yeah. Um, and Braden and I got in the car. And dropped everything. Dropped everything, drove to New Mexico. Our jobs knew this was, you know, kind of in the simmering in the back, yeah. in the background. And so we took off to New Mexico. She's. It was like six at night. We drove all, all through night. the night. And when we, she says, baby was born when we were driving. She sends us pictures. And, and um, with Cal, we were able to be in the hospital. They gave us a room. They were so kind. And it was just a few rooms down from his birth mom. So we got to spend time with them. And it's just a really great time. And um, she said, I don't, you know, it was co- with COVID. I don't know that that's going to work. But she sent us a message and said, no, actually, they said they're going to give you a room. Just come. He said, okay, so we got there at like three in the morning or something. And the, nurse, <laughs> the nurses came down and were like, well, how did you know that the baby was born? And we waited probably for an hour before they even came down. And basically, we kind of felt like criminals. <laughs> they, they interrogated us. Oh. They said, how did, like, who did this process? Well, like, the birth mom has been connect- communicating with us. They they asked us, they interrogated us. Well, how do you know? Do you have any paperwork that, that you've communicated yeah. with her? And I was like, paperwork? Like, do you have anything signed? And we're like, no, she's got it's the paperwork. That's not how it works. That's not how adoption so, works. Like, yeah. you don't sign anything until after the baby's born. Mm-hmm. Like, And she's like, well, can I see what you do have? And I was like, well, we have like thousands of messages. And she was interrogating us. And ultimately, she's like, well, I can't let you up. And we're like, okay. But she's literally just texted us, yeah, come up. And, yeah. and so... Anyway, so what had happened is her boyfriend was staying in the hospital with her and he had started to have second thoughts. And the mm-hmm. state wasn't... It, New Mexico is not a very adoption-friendly state. Mm-hmm. And birth fathers have lots of rights, which yeah. we don't uh, think is a problem. Yeah. But in this scenario, it just... He had kind of flipped a switch. Mm-hmm. And so then she just kind of went dark. And we were... It was the worst vacation of New Mexico I've ever had. <laughs> it was, yeah, we were in next New Mexico for how many weeks, too? Yeah, so just the first three days, we just didn't really even hear that much. And I finally sent her a message and said, oh, we're going to get ready to go. We've got kids, and the girl's birthday was coming up. And so we were just thinking, all right, we think we're going to cut our losses and go. And she said, wait, just stay. Can you stay another day? You know. So we thought, okay. Then we got a call from her father who we'd never spoken to previously. And he said... And at this time, you still hadn't, you hadn't met her, seen her? No. Nothing. Oh, my word. Yeah, and so father, her father calls and says, this is what's going on. He's changed his mind, and she's getting a lot of pressure in the hospital to parent. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to parent. He wants to parent. You know, anyway... And, we, and she doesn't really want him to parent. She didn't really want him to parent. And so we had to go in and meet with her and the boyfriend and the social worker and they didn't bring the baby and even though she wanted to bring the baby we didn't get to meet the baby and and it wasn't just a social worker it was like a couple nurses a a few nurses and staff that like it was again like we were criminals yeah it was kind of it was it was awkward and hard anyway so then um the social worker asked the the boyfriend you know what do you want he said i'm not doing this like thank you for coming it's not happening Mm -hmm have a good life basically. And Braden said, well, what did you, what do you want? Well, yeah, they, because they looked to him and they were only asking him questions and she's just staying silent. Uh-huh. And so, so they, I was like, okay, well, thanks for saying that. And then I turned to them, like waiting for them to say something. And she's like, she, the social worker just kind of shook her head. Like, there you go. There's your answer. So then I looked back at the birth mom and I was like, so what, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And she got, she, I'm proud of her, but she was like, I think adoption is best for this baby. And I think that you guys are the right people for it. Mm-hmm. And the social workers, I don't think had ever asked her what she wanted wow. because they all like sat up straighter and were like, what? Mm-hmm. Like they all kind of were, they were all taken back a little bit because I don't think they've ever even asked her. Yeah. And so. Anyway, so then um, once she got discharged, she was with her parents and they had kind of broken up at this point because they had disagreed so well, they were broken up before this. But they were kind of back together. They were kind of back and forth, right? Yeah. The relationship. and, and But this was kind of caused kind of a rift. Yeah. A big one, as you can imagine. So she got discharged to her parents. And she we talked with her. We talked with the lawyer. And he said, you know, this could potentially 
if you push forward with this, there's a possibility it still works out. But if he asserts his parental rights, mm-hmm. adoption's off the table. If you have a parent that wants to parent, there's no adoption, yeah. right? And she said, I'm going to take my chances. I want to pursue adoption. I really think this is right. So we were at the social worker's office and she was meeting with the social worker about to relinquish her rights. And her brother called her dad who was with us and he said she just got served papers. So he had served her. And and so at that point we knew this isn't going to work out. And so we got back in the car and said, let us know, I guess, if you know how things go. And that was it. Well, that was it, but it's also not it. I mean, there's still been communication, and, and we got to meet the baby, and and we ultimately, we knew that it was going to be done, but we went, met him at their house the night before we left, and you know we held the baby girl, and, and I didn't feel like she was coming home with us or going to be a part of our family. I didn't feel that way, but cute baby. And I never felt that way. I never felt that way until like papers were about signed. About any of them. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but we did have a conversation with her and we just, and her parents too. I think I talked with her parents and I told them, I, I, I don't think that adoption is going to happen. Um, so you need to maybe help her prepare to be a, a mom a parent so I know that that's not what she was planning on I they don't they didn't have anything they didn't have diapers wipes baby clothes car seat we ended up leaving everything we left we left car seats and different things for them to do it and and so I think that's kind of why we say it's unresolved is that we looking back we don't know the purpose of it yet we don't know we don't know why that happened or or and maybe maybe it wasn't for us I don't know maybe it was for her I think what's tricky is there are moments of, at first we, we had, some, I, I was worried about it for honestly, really specific reasons. One of which all of our children are not white, right? Mm-hmm. So Brain and I are Caucasian, our children are not, mm-hmm. and this baby was going to be white. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it's, I know it sounds probably crazy to everybody else, but I was like, this is going to change the dynamic yeah. of our family and, yeah. and how is that going to affect the children that I'm already responsible for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I had wrestled with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember waking up one morning and just having clarity of like, stop worrying about that. It's such mm-hmm. a silly thing to be worried about. And it was so clear and it was so not my thought process up to that point that I knew it was the Lord. Yeah. And so I just had these moments of clarity along the way that I felt like this is, this is our baby, right? This is going to yeah. work out. This is the path. And you had so many months leading up to it to yeah. be feeling those things. Like yeah. I felt like green light after green light, right? So yeah. I'm just like, okay, this is going swimmingly. This is perfect. Yeah. We're just on our way, right? <laughs> and so to have that hit that wall at the end, I was just like, what in the world? Why mm-hmm. did you take me on this scavenger hunt that ended in the worst vacation I've ever had, right? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one thing that I have expressed to other people, I at our last state conference, the cute, I think it was the mission president or, or the temple president. <laughs> so one of those guys. Yeah. And he told this story about, you know, faith. Yeah. And the, the, the miracle is not that the apostles, that they got fish, is that they were willing to throw the net, yeah. right? Yeah. And we were kind of in the thick of things at that moment. And I remember feeling like I threw my net. Yeah. I threw my net to the other side. It was a really hard thing for me to do. And I pulled it up and there's there's still no fish. Yeah. So it's this confusion of I did all the things and I've got all the green lights and I've done this a thousand times. Yeah. Not really a thousand, but I've, ha- I've been down this road before mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure I wanted to go down. And you told me it was safe. Yeah. You told me it was good yeah. and I kept going and, and now I'm in a mess, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Cindy, when you shared that with me, uh, when we spoke a few weeks ago and we were planning this out, it, it really touched me and I've been thinking about that and that story, right, of Christ and telling them to cast their net and how it relates to you. And I was thinking about it and, I, and what I have come to is casting our net is the miracle just like you said. And I think it's the miracle to expound on it because the miracle is Jesus Christ. Mm. The greatest miracle that has ever happened has already happened. 
and it's Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice for us. And so being willing to cast a net to drive to New Mexico, I can't even imagine, like you're sharing the story and my heart is going on this roller coaster with you and I wasn't even there. You were, you were putting faith in Jesus Christ and his miracle that in the end he's going to heal and he's going to make this right and he's going to help you through this. You know, it's stop asking for this to be taken away, these, these troubles to be taken away in prayer. Instead, ask for the faith to endure it and, and to be okay. And, and I really appreciated that about what you shared because that's, that's what I thought of and it was a growth. It was a growing experience for me. Yeah. So I'm really thankful that you would share that. Yeah. One of the things that I thought of too as I was kind of trying to navigate that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. You know, like the but if not. Mm-hmm. And I think growing up culturally, the idea is, they were they were willing to ha- to die, yeah. but because they were so willing and so faithful, the Lord mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, good job, you passed that test." Yeah. And they didn't, right? Yeah. But there's um, a parallel story that I feel like most a, a lot of people don't maybe know about in Moses. It's mm-hmm. just a verse or two, and it's the daughters of Oneida, mm-hmm. and and you're probably familiar with it. But they they were going to be sacrificed. It was the same, it's the same story. They were praying, they didn't want to pray to a God that they didn't believe in, that they didn't think was real. And they died. They were sacrificed on the altar. And I think that's, for me, that's the takeaway, Mm -hmm. is faith does not mean that you will be spared the heartache. It does not mean that you will be spared the mess. It's the trust that through the atonement of Christ, all things will be made right Mm -hmm. at some point. And that whatever he's doing with us in the process, and for whatever reason we went through this misery and paid a million dollars, it wasn't that much, but <laughs> you know, lost money and time and and energy over this. Yeah. Like it's okay. We trust that he is good. Mm-hmm. That everything we do will work together for our good. Mm-hmm. And you just—it's true. We just yeah. keep rowing. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you both so much for being so vulnerable, I, I'm excited for this to be put out there for everyone to hear it because I know it will be a strength to so many. And now for our last question, I want to ask, why are you still rowing and choosing faith in Jesus Christ and his restored church? For me, the reason I still row um, and choose faith is because of the blessings um, that come because of the moments in my life that I've received those blessings. Sydney shared an experience, um, a moment when she's turned back and and thought about a spiritual experience. When I was in high school, we were, we decided to go on a a winter camping trip, kind of like in the middle of winter. (laughs) And we went up in the mountains and there was like five feet of snow where we, our camping spot was. And we dug a huge pit for a fire and we put our, started setting up our tent with some deep poles and for some weird reason I decided to tie my flashlight onto this elastic string that, that attaches to my hoodie, my jacket hoodie, and so that I could see and use both hands and I went to grab the light to pull it to shine it away and of course it's elastic so it stretched off and it snapped and it hit my, my right eye, it just went right into my eye. and. I had been preparing to go on a mission and so had my friends and this was kind of like our last trip before the big mission or whatever else and when it hit me I went blind in that eye and I just kept trying to blink it off and blink it off and I was waiting for it to come back to normal and it wasn't coming back to normal and I was angry and like I was mad that I, like I got mad at God and I was like, yeah. why would you let this happen to me mm-hmm. right before I decide to go? Like I've turned in my papers. Why would you let this happen to me before I go on a mission? This is, that's, I was so mad and angry and I went behind the tent and kind of like flopped into the snow and sunk down in and, and just started crying and got mad at God. And across my blind eye that had kind of started to turn like, it was like a milky, like when I looked out, mm-hmm. it, it was like, really foggy. It was like looking through really fogged glasses. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't see and, and across that, like were literally just letters, like maybe in my mind, but mostly across my eye that just said, whatsoever you ask, um, that's right. You shall receive basically. Um, and so I just prayed that 
my eye would be fine and everything would be good. And then I went back to my friends, helped them finish setting up the fire. We set up the fire. I sat there um, just kind of in my misery while they're having fun because I can't see. <laughs> um, and then I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and like my eyesight, it was back to normal. And it was perfect. And there was absolutely nothing wrong with my eye and I went and, you know, got it checked and there was nothing wrong with my eye. Wow. And so that experience was the first experience in my life where I had, you know, the power of prayer and then the blessings that come from it. And it's just continual time after time where I just, I'm, and I've told Sydney about this and I don't know if I should share it, but I probably, I'm not a Nephi. <laughs> but I'm also not Laman and Lemuel, but I think I'm like a little more towards Laman and Lemuel than I am towards <laughs> Nephi. Like, oh my gosh, why do we have to do this? Why is this right? I don't want to do this. Like, I I'll go do it. Like, I'm telling you I'm going to do it, but I might complain a lot along the way, but I'm going to do it. Um, and so I'm a little bit more of that attitude and it slowly has changed over the years because even even though I was compelled to be humble, I guess you could say, like, <laughs> I have I've seen the blessings and how much more great will they be if you weren't compelled to do. Like, if I wasn't, like, kind of obligated, like, in my mind, maybe obligated might not be the right word, but every time I do something and I act in faith and I trust God, sometimes begrudgingly or like sometimes frustrated or moping and griping, but afterwards I always see the miracles and I see the blessings and our life is good and it's not perfect, but we have a great life. And, and every time I've ever said yes to the spirit, I haven't had any regrets. Mm -hmm. So that's why I continue to row. Thank you. I think for me, it's because I know it's true. I know Christ is real. And those really hard things, you know, they're so hard. Mm -hmm. what, what we went through was really hard. What other people go through is really hard. Life is hard. But it doesn't, it isn't the, the whole picture. It isn't the eternal plan. And if that means... I die on the altar. It's okay. Because in the end, the plan is for me to be with my family forever. And through Christ, it's possible. So I think for me, that's why. Because he, I love him. He is real. And his atonement is for all of us. Thank you both. Until next time, friends, thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. For updates on episode releases and a little motivation, you can find us on Instagram at churchofjesuschrist underscore sr underscore podcast and on Facebook at churchofjesuschrist sr podcast. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing to help us spread the word about Still Rowing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>